If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Didn't they fix property taxes in Texas? Stop it. I can hear you laughing. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at houstonchronicle.com. Jeremy, you're back in Austin after, I guess, a couple of weeks on the road. You were all over the place. Yeah, it's just become part of the lifestyle at this point. So if anybody out in West Texas thought they saw a UFO in the middle of the night, that was just me flying, you know, driving back, you know, to Austin in the dead mm-hmm. of night. So that's uh, it, well, the, the, you think that's what it was. We'll, we'll go back and check the time logs, see what <laughs> see what was actually happening out there. They do see things in West Texas, you know. Uh, one thing they see in West Texas and all over the state is higher property tax bills. Of course, the pain varies from place to place, right? But I am old enough to remember, Jeremy, in 2019, lo, those many years ago, in 2019, uh, Governor Abbott, the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, and the Speaker at the time, Dennis Bonin, they promised, quote, they would fix property taxes in Texas. That would all be taken care of. And in the meantime, if you go around the state, and you said to people, hey, guess what? Remember that they fixed property taxes in Texas? Aren't your bills all lower all over the place? I'm not sure anybody would agree with that. Almost anywhere, Jeremy. So this continues to be an issue on the campaign trail, right? You have Governor Abbott once again saying that he wants to do things about property taxes. And Beto O'Rourke saying he wants to do things on property taxes. Last week, we were talking about the lieutenant governor's race, where to his credit, uh, Mike Collier, the Democrat who's running, has made it a big you know, focal point, a, focus, a big focus of his campaign, talking about property taxes. You know, His argument is that, uh, that this has been a signature issue for Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick ever since he was running uh, for state Senate years ago. In fact, before that, when he was just a lowly radio talk show host in Houston, Patrick was railing about property taxes. And now both Patrick and Abbott have been in office for years, in the offices that they're in for years, and people are still complaining about it, Jeremy. Yeah, absolutely. You can see the difficulty of property taxes in Texas, right? It's like everybody wants to cut taxes, but it's so complicated and it's a difficult formula to work on. You go back to 2006. I know there's some listeners out there who remember, you know, Rick Perry telling you that you're going to get a $2,000 check in the mail. It's like, no, you weren't. You never got that check. In fact, your taxes went up just like in 2017 when they said, oh, we have this fixed to the property taxes. Mm -hmm. Your taxes went up. It turns out it's a really tough, complicated problem to get. So as you listen to Abbott and Beto O'Rourke, you know, as I traveled around the state, I kept thinking, boy, they're promising a lot. And I wonder if they'll be able to deliver any better than what we've seen over the last 10 years, where I can guarantee you there are you know, I have friends in San Antonio and Houston and Austin, and they all have the same story. Their taxes have gone up 30 percent since 2014. So how do you fix this? Yeah, let's listen to what the candidates uh, have to say about this. Here's Abbott first. He was speaking in, uh, was this in Collin County, Jeremy? Yeah, that's up in Fairview where he was speaking. Mm -hmm. All right. uh, This is what Abbott said about the record surplus that the state is projected to have come January. Uh, Is that as we get into May, Texas is sitting on a record-breaking budget surplus 
of $27 billion. And whose money is that? You are exactly right. And so here's what I want to do with that money. Obviously, we want to invest in healthcare. We want to invest in our schools. We want to invest in our infrastructure. But because this is your money that we're talking about in our savings account, I want to return at least half of that money to you with the largest property tax cut ever in the history of Texas. So it's a little hard to hear there from the event, Jeremy, but he's saying that he wants to return the people's money back to them. He's saying that any of these government revenues really belong to the taxpayers, and so it should go back to them. Has he been specific about how he would do that? Yeah, I, I, in Midland, Texas, uh, this last week, I sat down with him and talked to him. How exactly are you getting that $13.5 you know, billion dollars back into people's pockets, which is mm-hmm. absolutely would be a record. He's correct on that. We've mm-hmm. never seen anything close to like that on property tax cuts. So his thing is like it could be a combination of things. He talked about having a rebate back to people in terms of, you know, checks just sent back to, to people, you know, kind of like the Rick Perry thing where we're, right. we're literally going to send some rebate checks to people. He said another way is maybe kind of working with, you know, more of a tax buy down, kind of like what we saw in 2019, where you send more money to local governments to kind of, you know, take that tax burden away from them. So that we're, you know, filling it in with that, the state dollars. So there's a couple of options there he has to work with. But again, put it in the back of your mind, everything we're talking about has to get through the legislative process. So what Governor Abbott wants and what he gets may not always be the same thing on this stuff. And so there's a lot of game to be played on how would he actually make that happen and will it really reduce our tax bills? You remember during the legislative session last year when the red meat buffet was being offered uh, at the state capitol, uh, so many issues that were really about you know racking up wins for Republican primaries like constitutional carry of firearms, all the abortion bills, which we'll talk about abortion in just a bit, and some of the other things that really appeal to the right wing base. Those things were happening. Uh, But there was some discussion toward the end about property taxes. And here's the difference between being in power and not being in power. Uh, Democrats for years and years and years had said what they wanted to do was straightforward and just raise the homestead exemption which is not necessarily easy, but it's the most straightforward way to offer some relief on property taxes. And I think it was uh, uh, Ramon Romero, a Democratic state rep from uh, from Fort Worth, uh, who had proposed that for a while. And I think it was his bill uh, last time around. I go back and check. But point is, Democrats have been pushing this. It just didn't go anywhere. Republicans, because they have the votes, they can just decide to do that one afternoon. Which is what basically what they did. It was kind of like you know hitting the Uber button and calling up a ride to go downtown. Just like that, they could just do it, and they did. And I, I was convinced that you know at that point in the session, the Republican leadership realized they had done so much to win their primaries, but maybe hadn't made a good case for why they should be reelected in the November general election. Uh, and so, look, if you're a Democrat like Beto O'Rourke, Mike Collier, whoever uh, running as a challenger right now to, to the Republican incumbents, I would think you would be saying, hey. Taxes must be too high. If you have almost $30 billion in the bank, why is it that it's in the state's account instead of our accounts, right? Are the sales taxes too high? Are other taxes too high? What's up with that? So let's hear what Beto has to say about this. Where was he when you uh, saw him speak about it? This is in Del Rio, right on the Texas border. All right. Here's what Beto said. He, He wants to do a whole lot of things in addition to somehow cutting property taxes. And I want to do all of this without not only not raising 
your property taxes. I want to do all of this and actually lower your property taxes. Okay, how, how is this guy going to do this? Um, let me explain. I mentioned earlier, we're the ninth largest economy on the planet. We do not lack for resources or wealth in the state of Texas. It's a $2 trillion gross domestic product. The biennial budget is set at $250 billion. We, we have the resources. We just need to prioritize. Right now, we force your local school board to come up with the money to pay your teachers. And I understand the predicament that they're in. If they raise your salary, they're going to have to raise your property taxes throughout this community. and They're kind of caught in a bind. Here's what we need to do. It used to be in Texas that the state spent 50% of the cost of public education. Today, it's 40%. I'm going to work with Republicans and Democrats alike to get us back up to 50% to lower the amount that you have to pay locally, thereby reducing your local property tax bills. I have sat through um, the court uh, arguments about the property tax and school uh, finance system in Texas. And experts have to be brought in to talk about that, Jeremy. There are probably only about three or four people on earth who under who fully understand the school finance system in Texas. And I'm not one of them. And no one on the show is. Um, but I do understand this. The fact is that the uh, way it's funded, if the state is putting more money into the local level, sending money back down, as they did in 2019, which you mentioned, um, then that does have some effect on containing property tax uh, levels, uh, how much people are paying at the local level um, when they do that. It's called uh, tax compression or buying down property taxes. But it takes so much money to do that. As he mentioned, there was a time when a full half of the cost of public ed in Texas was paid for by the state, and now we're at around 40%. That can be true at the same time that this is true, too. Roughly half of the state's quarter trillion dollar biennial budget goes to public education, right? So to have to, to have the, the budget be half public ed still doesn't get you to half funding of the public education system in Texas. What that means is, in layman's terms, that means local folks are picking up more of the cost, right? So how would you fix that? If you had, oh, I don't know. 30 billion extra dollars sitting around, you could put a lot of that into that public education system. Um, but here's a, here's a catch on that. Every two years, you're not going to have 30 billion extra dollars, right? You're going to have that this time. And that's a, that's a one-time fix. And that's the way so many of these things work and why it's so frustrating for people, Jeremy, is because so much of what gets offered up in Austin is a one-time fix. And then future legislatures always have to figure out the rest. Yeah, and, and and adding to it is how inconsistent you know tax relief can be or any taxing issue can be from one place to the next or who you are. So here's the thing. It's like they've done a lot for homesteaded properties, right? But if you're a renter, if you rent a home or from a commercial, you know, real estate, you know, whatever company, guess what? You're not seeing that relief. In fact, those people are getting higher tax bills by thousands of dollars. And what happens to that? That gets passed on to you through your rent. So all of your rents that are going up $300 or $400 a month, that's because that property tax bill went up like $3,000. 
because of, you know, there's no protection in any of this stuff for non-homesteaded properties. So, you know, you can see how difficult it is. And then from region to region, you know, this is this will blow your mind. In Austin, Texas, you're probably going to get a tax bill next month that's a little bit lower than it was last year. But if you're in Williamson County, you might be up a little bit. And if you're in San Antonio, you might be up a lot more than you expected. So it just it all depends on where you are in the state and what your ISDs are doing, what the hospital districts are doing. There's mm-hmm. so many things at play that it's hard to kind of measure. Here's some good news, though. I'm going to break it all down in a story this weekend at the Houston Chronicle and the Express News. It'll break this whole bad boy down, you know, trying to figure out what can these guys actually do and not do? And are they overpromising, you know, historic tax cuts and mm-hmm. what it's going to mean for you? For a lot of us renters out there in the world or people who don't own their home, guess what? You're going to get more. You're going to be paying more for housing next year. There's almost no doubt in my mind based on what's happening to the appraisal rates of these commercial real estate properties. Yeah. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Check out HoustonChronicle.com this weekend. Um, You know, I think. On the property tax question politically, this is why it's really being stressed by the Democratic campaigns now, and in some ways, sort of led by Collier, uh, you know, at, at, you know, at the second level of the ballot, uh, and being picked up by Beto, is because we focus so much on shifting demographics in Texas, and we should do that. But I think one of the most important demographics politically is this: we've reached a point, especially in suburban Texas where there are so many homeowners who are open to voting for Democrats when that would not have been the case 10 years ago. Those would have been rock solid Republican areas, you know, in places like Collin County, Denton County, Hayes County, Williamson County, Fort Bend. But now those are all shifting because of all these folks moving in. A thousand people moving to Texas every day. They're not all rock solid Republican the way that they used to be in those places. And homeowners are angry and willing to maybe pick something different for state leadership. Yeah, and essentially, that's a great point. So what do you, what do we hear in Beto O'Rourke in that speech in Del Rio? We hear like old Beto, you know, I mean, I mean like Beto from 2018 when he was running for the U.S. Senate, right? When he was trying to be a little bit more conservative, try to reach more people in the middle. It's like, where does this idea of sending all this money to the school districts come from where it's a 50-50 match? Where does that idea come from? It comes from Republicans. You know, that's a bill that Charlie Guerin in the Texas House and uh, Hugh Schein have been you know, pushing out there. They wanted that to pass this last time. They filed mm-hmm. a bill that would have created a constitutional amendment to require the state to pick up its 50% share of public education going mm-hmm. forward. Here, Beto is saying, that's what I want to do. You can see it's almost like kind of classic Beto of the old times, you know, versus the guy who was running for president, right? He's trying to get back to that vibe where he's like, no, look, I'm still that guy who can be, who is a little bit more conservative than most Democrats when I was in Congress, when I was on the city council in El Paso. And here I'm proving to you, I want to cut property taxes. I think I can do it with Republicans. Mm -hmm. Totally not the guy who was on stage you know, with Julian Castro, you know, trying to get to the left of, you know, seven other guys on there and women. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, now, candidates can talk about a, a whole lot of different things when they're just giving speeches, but you can tell what they really want to emphasize. Uh, those are the issues that they actually spend money on for uh, advertising, right? And the Republicans right now are all in on immigration and border security. The Biden administration must enforce Title 42 health restrictions at the border. Either he's unwilling to solve this crisis or he doesn't know how. So we're here to offer solutions. 26 of America's governors 
have worked together to develop specific actions that Biden can take immediately to end the crisis on the border that he has caused. They always use that dramatic uh, violin music. Uh, you know, it's a dun 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 dun. <laughs> That's uh, Governor Abbott and other GOP governors in an advertising uh, advertisement from the Republican Governors Association slamming President Biden over immigration once again on Fox News Channel. Abbott said that sending migrants to Democratic cities through his busing program, uh, he wants to put these migrants in the blue areas. So those folks there can learn a lesson. That's the way he's putting it. Uh, you'll notice, though, he does not say anything about actually fixing the immigration issue. We have a president who has refused to go see the chaos that he's created on the border and a border czar in uh, Kamala Harris who's refused to see what's going on on the border. And so if they will not go to the border, we're taking the border to them so they can see the challenges they're opposing to the entire United States of America. Not to be outdone, here's Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick on Fox as well talking with Laura Ingram. Dan, um, aren't Texas and Florida doing a favor for the residents of these communities? Because They've declared themselves, their communities, to be sanctuary localities. But did they really mean it? Uh, they meant it until the bus arrived. Oh, and then they got them right out of Martha's Vineyard and these other places, Jeremy. Of course, this has been portrayed in a way that is less than honest. And, and on the show last week, we talked a lot about how this is one of those uh, things that it, where it matters so much how you talk about it. If you talked about it as sort of a program to, you know, just send migrants to places where they would have services and job opportunities, you might think the Catholic Charities put it together or it was some liberal Democrat doing it. But if you're talking about it the way that Governor Ron DeSantis and Abbott and Patrick are talking about it, then it's a get tough thing to make sure that Biden and the blue state mayors and governors, that they understand, you know, what's up here with the border. But again, no real solutions being put forward. Now, I, I got this question over the last week a lot. People were wanting to know, is anything about this illegal? To be rounding people up in San Antonio, which you mentioned last week, the DeSantis and his way of doing it was quite different from the way Abbott's doing it, right? Is this perhaps human trafficking, which people might think sounds hyperbolic? Is this perhaps um, kidnapping? Again, people might think that's too much, but here is the sheriff in Bear County, Javier Salazar, saying his office is now investigating what DeSantis did in San Antonio. Uh, our understanding is that a Venezuelan migrant uh, was paid a, a, what we would call a bird dog fee to recruit approximately 50 migrants from the area around a migrant resource center on San Pedro uh, here in San Antonio. Uh, as we understand it, 48 migrants were uh, lured, I will use the word lured, uh, under false pretenses uh, into, into staying at a hotel for a couple of days. Uh, they were taken by airplane. At a certain point, they were shuttled to an airplane uh, where they were flown to Florida and then eventually flown to Martha's Vineyard, again, under false pretenses is the, the information that we have. Now, if people think that it is impossible for local leadership to prosecute statewide Republicans, I would remind you that has happened in Texas more than once. Um, of course, you had the Travis County District Attorney prosecute uh, the former House Majority Leader, Tom DeLay, who's a national figure, not a statewide, but a national figure. You had the Travis County District Attorney go after former Governor Perry, 
when he vetoed funding for the public integrity unit there. Um, politically, Jeremy, if, if, if there is anything to a prosecution, we'll see. This is in, in its nascent stages. Uh, but if there is anything like that, it's been my experience that what ends up happening from a political standpoint is it kind of hardens people in the positions they were already in, right? If, if somebody's being prosecuted, Let's just say for sake of discussion that DeSantis was prosecuted or somebody on his team was prosecuted for this. Uh, what would DeSantis say? Well, it's the liberal Democrats who run San Antonio who are coming after me. And of course, the Democrats in San Antonio would say, well, he's a corrupt Republican. And that just kind of they, that leaves the Democrats where they are and the Republicans where they are. And I've never really seen that play out uh, you know, any other way, regardless of what the end legal result would be. Yeah. In, in this case, like there's a I think the Republicans are kind of winning the message war. You know, I'm not saying they're being completely honest in how they're framing it, but the messaging is very complicated. Right. You know, it's like as you hear Ron DeSantis and Governor Greg Abbott say they're sending illegal immigrants to sanctuary cities. Yeah. If you're pitching it that way, that's mm -hmm. a different kind of message for people who don't know who's coming across the border and how different they are and the nuanced differences. It's like that's very different than it, like here. I'll say the same thing in a different term. Legal asylum seekers escaping Venezuela are looking for a home. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, should we punish them? It's like, that is like a very different kind of way to approach it, right? You know, it's like, the Democrats aren't winning that messaging right now. You heard, you know, Joe Biden at one point this week actually address it, point out that what's coming across the border right now is what we've been reporting, which is like there's a massive historic surge of Venezuelans and Cubans who are mm -hmm. coming across that border. And they are very different than, you know, the, this whole message of send them back. Are we really talking about sending them back to Cuba? Are we sending them back to Venezuela? Joe Biden actually raised that question when he was pushed by some reporters in D.C. It's like it doesn't it's not rational to try to send them back to those places because they're collapsing. Venezuela is collapsing upon itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think if you ask people, should you, you know, send these people who are, are trying to get away from a dictator back to the dictator? I'm not sure many people would say, yeah, please do that. It's like, I right. think even if you're a hardened conservative, you're like, shouldn't we be taking care of these Venezuelans and helping right, them get a better life? This has also been my experience, though. Great point. This has also been my experience. As soon as you attach the word illegal immigrant to someone, to, to the base of the Republican Party, that makes them not human anymore. So let me Exactly. Let me, That's where let, that messaging war yeah. comes in. Mm -hmm. DeSantis and Abbott has gotten that word out there. And the Biden and the Democrats need to, if they're going to fight this in a in a one-on-one -on -one battle, they got to right. explain that these are legal asylum seekers who mm -hmm. are probably going to get asylum down the road because we're not sending them back to Maduro's Venezuela. That's not happening. Here's DeSantis arguing that liberal elites in any kind of, you know, just bypassed what the sheriff is saying in, in San Antonio. He says the liberal elites in Massachusetts, where I believe they have a Republican governor, don't they? That would be Charlie um, Baker who yes, did all the right. moving uh, of these guys. And of course, Baker had to do some sc uh, scrambling there to try to get some services for these people once DeSantis just dropped them off unannounced with no coordination, which people should keep that in mind, too. Uh, DeSantis says all those folks are hypocrites because those migrants did not end up staying where he had them dropped off. Obviously, it's sad that Martha's Vineyard people deported them the next day. They could have absorbed this. They chose not to. But what it shows is if 50 was a burden on one of the richest places in our country, what about all these other communities that have been overrun with hundreds or thousands? How many tough guys have a voice that's that high? Uh, DeSantis uh, was also asked 
why he used migrants from Texas instead of the state he leads, which is Florida. The problem is, is we're not seeing mass movements of them into Florida. So you end up with a car with maybe two. And if we know that that's illegal and there's someone that's kind of smuggling, then, then committing crime, then you can do arrest. There have been drug seizures, but that's not effective enough to stop the mass migration, but it's just coming in onesie twosies. So the answer is, that was a lot of political speak. The answer is there's not enough political human props in Florida that, we, that he's got to find them in Texas. That's the way he answered it anyway. But I would also say, Jeremy, he probably doesn't want to piss off some of the uh, immigrant populations in Florida because it's not like they don't have any. Yeah, he is walking a very delicate line there because there's a very big you know, growing Venezuelan community in Miami. And, and, and when you're listening to what he's saying there, you know, look, watch this coming down the road, because this is what I'm going to be interested in finding out. Did he have these people looking for Venezuelans specifically, you know, in San Antonio who expressed some interest in moving to Florida? You know, that's where they want to eventually get to be with more uh, people from Venezuela. Did he hear that and think, OK, we want to get those people you know, send them to Florida for a second and then get them off to Martha's Vineyard. We want to like, you know, uh, did they actually look for Venezuelans who want to reunite with families in Miami, maybe, and then detour them to Martha's Vineyard? Because I'm I'm going to go on a limb here and say not one of those, you know, Venezuelan migrants said, please, can we go to Crestview, Florida? I've been to Crestview, Florida. And folks, that's not the Florida you're thinking of. <laughs> it is not your Disney World beaches and whatever. That is not where you want to go. And there's not single one of those people who said, yes, I'm trying to get to Crestview. Can you help me get there? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you mentioned that President Biden had pushed back on some of this. Uh, NPR's Franco Ordonez asked White House spokeswoman uh, Karine Jean-Pierre whether the president and his team have done anything to try to reach out to Abbott and DeSantis to try to coordinate on this and, and work to, you know, together since this is being portrayed as a national issue. Did the White House ever try to get in touch with Governor DeSantis or Governor Abbott about this to try to reach some type of understanding or a solution? I mean, there's no understanding to be reached. They are using people who are leaving a commun communist countries as a political stunt. Instead of instead of maybe what they should do is call on their senators in their in their state, uh, uh, call on you know Senator Marco Rubio, ask Senator Rick Scott why is it that they did not vote for historic funding uh, when it comes to Department of Homeland Security's making sure that we are dealing uh, with this issue. Now, as you said, Republicans have been flooding the field with this for the last, really uh, for a couple of months, the groundwork was being laid. But I think for the last couple of weeks, it has really dominated the national discussion, right? And it's, it's shifted the conversation away from things that Democrats want to talk about. And we talked about this previously on the show. It's almost like uh, they're speaking different languages, the Republicans and the Democrats. They certainly don't want to talk about the same issues. And even on the issue we started with on property taxes, of course, they talk about those things in a little bit different way. But those aren't uh, the discussions that are being had, you know, right top of mind. Right. I mean, it's, it's for Democrats. It's been gun violence and abortion rights and to a certain degree in Texas, the electricity grid. And for Abbott, he's been trying to keep people focused on immigration, inflation, the economy uh, and continuing to tie Beto O'Rourke to Biden. I was driving from uh, San Antonio to Austin just the other day, and they've got these billboards all over the place. The billboard says, what, Beto is Biden, 
or Beto equals Biden. They're both bad for Texas, right? You're going to see a lot more of that uh, over the next, uh, you know, within uh, over the next two months, you know, but, but, but certainly before early vote and leading up to Election Day. So while Abbott and Patrick are all over Fox News Channel, where was Beto? He was on a few different uh, TV shows, and uh, one of them is on Comedy Central, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Does he want to talk about immigration? Does he want to talk about inflation? No, no. When he's asked about why he's running for governor, he talks about other things. We have the most extreme abortion ban in America. Mm -hmm. No exception for rape or incest begins at conception. Um, speaking of democracy and the right to vote, it is harder to cast a ballot or get on the rolls in Texas than any other state in the union. It's been 17 weeks since those 19 kids and two teachers were killed in Uvalde. Gun violence, the leading cause of death for kids and teenagers in that state. But instead of succumbing to the temptation to despair or submitting to this, Texans are rising up. Here's how good the Republicans have been, Jeremy. Even Trevor Noah, noted liberal, asked him about the immigration issue and said, hey, look, Beto, he, he, look, he said Beto's goals are noble and everything. But he said, listen, it seems like most Texans don't agree with you about a whole lot of these issues, including immigration. And he also asked Beto, what's the point of you know going to all these places around Texas where folks probably don't agree with you? What even comes out of that? Are there any people that you talk to, Beto, on the campaign trail who don't agree with you at first, but then maybe they might because you were willing to show up? It's interesting. We, we were in a town called Hemp Hill in East Texas. And in that county, they, they literally have about 3% high-speed internet access. So huge infrastructure problems there. It's a very red Republican rural county. So half the, the group that comes out is Republican. You know, 20 are wearing Make America Great Again shirts and mm -hmm. Donald Trump hats on. And this guy stands up and asks a very legitimate question. He's wearing a Trump hat. He said, my mom immigrated to this country from Canada. And to renew her green card, we had to stand in this line every so often. She worked three jobs because my dad, who was disabled in World War II, fighting for this country, could not work. I started working when I was 14 years old. We, we played by the rules. Uh, we followed the law. And I don't know why, Beto, people are coming in between ports of entry right now and, and not following our laws. And I think his anger was legitimate. Mm -hmm. um, his experience was valid. And he asked a really good question. And so we talked about, you know, is busing migrants fixing this problem at all? Well, no. Is building a, a mile and a half of border wall, which is what Greg Abbott has done, helping anything? Well, no, I guess it's not. Well, what if we address the fact that people have legitimate reasons to want to come here to work or to join family or to seek asylum in a country that is comprised by and large of asylum seekers and refugees? And what if we in Texas, you as a Republican and I as a Democrat, actually led on this issue? And he's nodding his head and comes over at the end of the meeting, shakes my hand and says, you know what, you might have earned my vote by coming out here to Hemp Hill and having this conversation. So it works. So, so, Dialogue so works. Now, I'm not going to say that people in Hemp Hill are liberal or even moderate, <laughs> but this has been my experience. And I wouldn't say that. But look, I grew up in rural Texas. One thing I would say about people in rural areas is I, I, they tend to self-identify as conservative or very conservative. But if you go have dinner with people in far west Texas, in east Texas, um, in small communities all over the place, Marshall, Tyler, little towns in between that. Did you know there's an Athens, Texas? Yeah, there of course. In Atlanta, Texas. Yep, yep. You know where that is? So if you go to these little places and you talk to people. And you just kind of leave partisanship out of it and just talk about issues. You'll notice a lot of nuance, right? If you get into real questions about real things and you're not just saying, hey, are you a Republican? 
because they'll all say that. Hey, are you conservative? They'll all say that. But then you start talking about abortion and you get into the specifics of, hey, maybe sometimes it isn't what you want to see happen, but maybe government should stay out of that. Right. I mean, you'll you'll hear these things come out of the mouths of people who otherwise would say they're pretty conservative because you get into the detail and nuance of things. And so I think maybe one of the only ways to break through it is to go have real conversations. I think the the challenge for someone running statewide in Texas, though, is that this is a nation state. You cannot go have that conversation with everybody. You can't talk to everyone across the state in that way and get into that level of nuance with people. And so because you can't get to that level of nuance with the vast majority of people, they're just going to revert to their partisan jersey at the end of the day. And as I've said a million times, there are more Republican voters in Texas than Democratic ones. And so maybe going to all these little rural places is kind of a fool's errand. Well, and, and great. I'll raise you a Bandera, Texas and uh, Medina, Texas. And, you know, the conversations I had with folks in South mm-hmm. Texas in those rural communities. Same thing. Right. It's like, but your point is like right on mark because you can't get think of you know what better work to said in that clip. Try to put that on a bumper sticker and tell me if the one that says build a wall or send them back does better. <laughs> it's a simpler message. And we've said this on the show before. Correct. People want simple solutions to complex problems. When the answer is complex, it's hard to kind of break through. And so why are Republicans winning on the polling on this issue? Because the message is simpler. Send them back. Don't let them in here. You can understand that versus, well, let's reconstruct a worker visa program that will make these guys you know, be able to you know, reestablish with family, but then go back to their home country. Right. That's too long, man. It's like, you know, people are busy. <laughs> they have busy lives. They just want to say, look, there's a lot of people coming across the border right now. I'm not racist or, or, or concerned, mm-hmm. but I am concerned. You know, it's like that's, you know, there's a lot of regular normal people in these places who are just like, you know, can we handle all these people coming across in Del Rio right now? The answer is probably no. What do you do with it is the complexity of the thing. But the Republicans are kind of winning the simple solution to a very complex problem. Yeah. And just my take on it, I don't think that um, this is what I'm about to say is necessarily conservative. I just think there are a lot of folks who think this way is that the people come who come after them should have it just as bad as they did. And I don't get that. You know, to me, I think I think about it the way I think about my daughter, which is I'd like her life to be better than mine. But I look out across issues and I think, okay, when uh, when the government makes a move to cancel some student debt, the immediate response from a lot of people is, well, it was real hard for me. Why shouldn't it be hard for them? I think, well, what is the point? You want them to suffer like you had to suffer or on the immigration issue? The guy that Beto was talking to had a rough situation because they were trying to do it legally. So is it his position that everyone who comes after should have it just as hard or should we do things to make it better for the next generation? I mean, if if people think about the next generation as all of our kids, that's the way you would think about it. If you only think about it, you know, for your children, then it's a very sort of narrow view of the world. Yeah. And maybe things are a lot worse than they were. It's like we ha- our perspectives kind of get thrown on this stuff. What people were dealing with, well, my great-grandfather immigrated to this country, but guess what? There wasn't a 20-year backlog for him right. to just get his paperwork in to go through the system. Now, that's what you're looking at. If you're in you know, Venezuela trying to apply for you know, some sort of asylum from Venezuela, good luck. You're not going to hear a response for 20 years to get that claim through. It's like, so what are your options? 
go through the jungle and risk your lives going through, you know, cartel infested, you know, communities in, you know, places that, you know, you don't want to live in anyhow. So mm-hmm. that's your journey. You now are going to spend months on the road on foot trying to get to Del Rio, Texas, just so you can be shuttled to San Antonio for mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis to just pick you up and fly you wherever <laughs> he wants to yeah. send you. It's like that is not a normal journey. That is not what happened to our great grandparents, you know, in the day. It's like they did yeah. not have 20 year waits to get through this system. And there are lots of conservatives, including uh, Greg Abbott, to some degree, uh, Dan Patrick, who would say that we should do things to invest in the future so that folks don't have it as hard as the last generation did. I mean, on different issues, for example, big investments in public education. That's one of the first things that Abbott talked about as we played it during this show. Investments in infrastructure around the state, water, roads, public schools, um, in uh, in broadband uh, infrastructure, the big investments in that that are planned in Texas. So it's also interesting the way that the uh, leadership picks things here and there that we're going to make it better about, make life better about, and not on other things. Um, interesting, Jeremy, that the abortion issue is percolating not just in these state-level races or federal races, but also in local races. And I saw where the Harris County judge, Lena Hidalgo, is slamming her Republican opponent, Hidalgo, of course, the Democratic incumbent, uh, Alex Mueller, is running against her. Um, And this is the television ad that Hidalgo is running right now, taking her Republican opponent to task over what? Over what she calls Greg Abbott's abortion ban. It's the most extreme abortion law in the nation. Greg Abbott's abortion ban, and Alex Mueller supports it. It makes no exceptions for rape or incest. It could put Texas doctors in jail, and it's already preventing women from getting medical care that they desperately need for miscarriages and life-threatening ectopic pregnancies. Now, Alex Mueller wants to take charge of our health system as Harris County judge. Don't let her. There's those dramatic violins again. It, every ad- you can totally every advertisement. Can't you see, hear the difference between you know a violin and a fiddle? It's like that. That was definitely a violin and <laughs> not a fiddle. It. <laughs> it's only how you play it. It's not devil went down to Georgia. But look, I mean the um, the fact is that this is sort of the way. Republicans would campaign for state level offices is to bring up federal issues, right? To talk a lot about immigration is what they're doing, right? Um, For abortion, this has been returned to the state governments after the Dobbs decision. And I think we talked, you know, we've talked about this a lot. The idea that not only do you have women's reproductive rights in question now, but it also, uh, you know, puts the spotlight squarely on state governments. Uh, that because look, the decision basically says that the states can make this uh, this call on abortion rights, and in Texas, we have some of the strictest abortion laws in America, and not just one law on this, but lots of them. People suing other people if they aided or abetted an abortion, quote unquote. Uh, abortion just being completely illegal with no uh, exceptions for rape or incest. And so it may not matter that the county judge in Houston doesn't really have that much to do with the policy itself. It may just be that for Hidalgo, it's a smart play to get Democrats in Houston fired up to vote for her because, hey, you don't want this Republican in there who's going to agree with somebody like Greg Abbott. 
Yeah, we're getting to the point where like the battle for the mosquito control board is going to come down to like where you stand on abortion and immigration. You know, you're yeah. just like, wait a minute here, wait, what are we talking about again? But this goes to this whole nationalization of everything, right? Like yes. everything is like the Dobbs decision or what's coming across the border. You know, it's just like I don't care what you're running for. You better be ready to answer for that because you're going to be asked about it in the school district, you mm-hmm. know, the county, you know, judge race and, you know, every sheriff office, you know, in, right. this, in the state right now. Well, and I think, you know, during uh, President Trump's uh, time in office, uh, I heard from a lot of Republicans who and I'm sure you talked to a lot of folks who had this reaction as well. When you would ask about what Trump had just said, if they were an elected Republican, uh, they would maybe say privately or they might say publicly, hey, look. I'm not responsible for everything that that guy says. Well, at some point you can't avoid it, right? Life isn't fair. And sometimes sometimes you do have to answer for it because, hey, he's the head of your party. Do you agree with that or not? I mean, whoever the president is, is the head of their party. So if he goes out and says erratic stuff all of the time, while you as a state level politician are carefully, you know, managing your image and you don't want to step in the wrong direction, you, do, you know, you want to be sort of modulated about these uh, conversations and you want to be more conservative about, about that stuff or down the middle of the road on diff- other things. You couldn't avoid it when this guy was just throwing bombs all over the place. And you do have some national figures who are trying to push even further to the right on this abortion issue, which I think a lot of Republicans right now don't want to see happen. Um, you saw Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina pushing this, uh, what, a 15 week ban at the national level after Republicans all over the place had said, hey, the, the point of the decision this summer from the Supreme Court was to let the states figure that out for themselves. These are not liberal senators you're about to hear from. Tommy Tuberville, where is he from? Alabama? Oh, yeah. And um, and John Cornyn, our senior senator from Texas. Listen to what they said about Graham's effort to ban abortion nationally. I'm not for that. Uh, you know, Roe versus Wade uh, was shot down by the Supreme Court. Didn't do away with abortion. He just said, hey, send it back to the states and let the people vote for it. I'm, that's what I'm that's what I'm for. Well, I do believe it should be left to the states. That was a point of um, the Supreme Court decision. And uh, Texas, I believe, will craft a, a law that uh, Texans will uh, represent Texans views. Cornyn saying that with laws on the books right now that were not passed a long time ago, they were passed last year uh, that completely, have, I guess, as you would say, Jeremy, that was back in the olden days of 2021 when these laws were passed that say no exceptions for rape and incest. You don't hear Governor Abbott touting that a lot right now, do you? You don't hear uh, Ron DeSantis touting that a lot now, do you? I don't hear the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, here talking a lot about it, even though he would say he's one of the most pro-life um, you know, uh, candidates and office holders in the history of Texas. I, I, he has said a, a version of that. But when you go around the state and you talk to people, uh, not just in those small communities like we were talking about before, Go talk to women in the suburbs and talk to women under 45 and ask them what they think about these abortion laws. You will get uh, some very angry reactions. Women who are open to voting for Republicans otherwise saying, I can't do it this time because of this. Right. And so that's why you have Cornyn saying that. That's why you would have Tuberville saying that and other Republicans now trying to walk a fine line. The problem with you know trying to walk a fine line is the decision's been made in Texas. And I don't hear any Republican, including Abbott or anyone else, certainly not Brian Hughes, the state senator from East Texas, who carried that legislation in the Texas Senate. I don't hear any of them saying, hey, maybe next legislative session we can take a look at changing that. Because guess what, dear listener, it, you know, people act like it's such a big deal to change laws. I do this for a living. It's not. 
they change the laws in Texas every two years, right? And, and sometimes more often than that, when there's a special session of the legislature, it's not that big a deal. They, they change the Texas Constitution just about every two years. There's uh, some amendment that we all vote on, you know, at an off time uh, to change it in this way or that way. By the did you know constitutional scholars consider the Texas Constitution to be one of the worst written ones? And a lot of it is because of the fact that we just change it all the time. Yeah, we've had to amend our Constitution over 300 times. Remember, the federal Constitution, which has been in in place since 1780, we've done, what, 26, 27 amendments? Right. And and here in Texas, we can't get a decade without doing like 26 amendments. Well, they do it every – right. They do it every two and four years. So so I haven't heard any – prominent Republican or any Republican, really. If if there has been one, someone will correct me, but I haven't seen one GOP office holder or even candidate, you know, somebody who might be running for an office and isn't there yet, haven't heard any of them, Jeremy, walk any of that back and say, hey, actually, maybe next legislative session, we should go back and look at that language and maybe consider putting some exceptions in, at least for rape and incest, because that's something that you know even a lot of moderate to conservative Republicans would agree with. Well, it goes to what you've said before a million times, I think, on this show, which is, you know, this is a primary state still. So that, that's one a dangerous line. One. Yeah, that, that's a dangerous line for Republicans to walk. But I think a lot of people are also recognizing that, man, this is a little different this year. You know, it's like you mentioned, like there, you can go to Austin, Texas and, you know, in, in places like Houston, and you're going to hear, hear a lot of people upset with, with the Dobbs decision and what's the, the outgrowth. The surprise to me is when I'm in Dumas, Texas, or I'm in Muleshoe, Texas, or Spearman, Texas, and you hear women in those places going, look, I normally don't get involved in politics, but this is too much. You know, it's like that is what the concern is. There's a lot more people who I think are angrier going into the election cycle and want to do something about this than we maybe have seen in the past. So that's the difference here. And I think Republicans are realizing, oh, man, maybe we went a little too far. Mm-hmm. We're not sure how to walk this back, though. Don't put me on the record. <laughs> right. Um, let me end with something here um, in uh, the spirit of coming together and agreeing with someone I don't normally agree with. Senator Ted Cruz was talking on the Senate floor the other day, and of course he was talking about some of uh, the president's nominees for different things, and he was talking about the fact that they have made comments online that would cause them, it would cause them some problems when they're going through their confirmation hearings in the, in the United States Senate. And what he said was, and he, he even, and you don't hear this much from Cruz either, he even admitted that he's guilty of the thing he was talking about. That's not his M.O. usually. He said, you know, too many people sort of live on social media and, you know, they, they, they learn everything that they learn during a, any given day from social media, which is very dangerous. And they say too much on social media. They're just tweeting all the time or Facebooking all the time. Or maybe if they're a fan of President Trump, uh, they are on Truth Social. If they could get in on that thing. I think there was um, – a long waiting line for that because there were the limited spaces or something for, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not on truth social. If we have any listeners who are on truth social, they can fill me in on how it works. But anyway, Cruz was saying that if you're going to tweet, you should be careful about it. And in fact, he said the best course of action would be to not tweet at all. The best thing to do probably is do not tweet. But if you must tweet, and I am guilty of that offense myself, remember that your tweets can and will be used against you. That the internet is forever, and as the father of daughters, I sometimes am terrified 
uh, what our children will say and to see it come back to haunt them years and decades later. I'm going to do something I would normally never do, Jeremy. I have no criticism of what the senator just said. That's it. I think people stop living on Twitter. What you ought to do is, especially when you get to the weekend, whatever your hobby is, whether it's, you know, for me, it's cigars and other things uh, that I maybe won't mention. Um, it's Texas music for you. You love to go to, you know, these different concerts and things like that. Maya, I don't know what your hobby is. Is it one you would like to mention? Do, do you have a hobby, just something you just do for fun? Yeah, I like to indoor rock climb. That's a big one. Okay, all right. So mm -hmm. I think what you should do, what all of us should do with our hobbies is on the weekends if it's possible. And of course, it's harder during the campaign season, right, Jeremy, because we don't really get weekends. But you should let your hobby and the things you enjoy that don't have anything to do with uh, politics and, and being so angry at each other all the time, let that take, let that have, let that thing that you enjoy, let that have custody of your mind for two days. Just kind of, you know, get out of this space where you're just hating everybody all the time because, you know, you're a Republican and the other people are Democrats or vice versa. You agree with that? Absolutely. I can totally agree with that. I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to ditch my phone and just go hang out and listen to Randy Rogers this weekend. That sounds right, like a good, good plan. You that sold is, me. Thanks for helping. Well, I, I may not have gone if it weren't for that. I really had, to twist, really had to twist his arm on that. All right. If you enjoy the show, in fact, if it's your favorite show and you know that it is, well, how are you not subscribed already? You should be. You should have three friends subscribe and their free, uh, three friends should subscribe and everybody should subscribe. Keeps us number one. Thank you. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcast. Somebody asked me why I mentioned this, Jeremy, at the end of the show, because people might be listening to it on the Houston Chronicle website right now, because you can listen to it that way. Or you might be listening to it after I tweeted it out. If you will do it on one of those podcast platforms, click the subscribe button. It'll just show up automatically on your phone. Is that how that works, Maya? I really don't. She's nodding. I really don't know how podcasting works. I'm not up to speed on this technology. All right. Yeah, well, so well, well, we may have to catch you up as we approach show number 300 or whatever right. we're on. We're on show 5 million, and I don't know how any of this works. Uh, subscribe to quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com, and uh, what's the other one, Jeremy? Expressnews.com? You got it. And we will see you next time. <laughs>